start by telling you guys a story about a man called Sadiq. Now, Sadiq, he lives in India and he was raised Hindu. And uh, unfortunately, one day his wife developed a chronic illness. And so he did whatever he could. Um, he took her to many different uh, local witch doctors and things like that. But nothing seemed to change. But Sadiq's sister, she was a Christian, and so one day she invited his wife along to church with her, and while she was there, she was completely healed. And that is when Sadiq profoundly encountered Jesus. When he saw that his wife had been healed, that is when I resolved to give my life to the Lord and serve him, he said. After that, he began sharing with, uh, with others in his community about Jesus, but before long, he began to experience significant persecution. He experienced death threats. He was locked up in cells full of excrement and urine. He was shoved and mistreated by the police. But despite all of that, carrying such a deep conviction of faith through the support of other Christians around the world, Sadiq is still standing strong. In his words, I lived with so much fear, but the Lord stood with me and gave me the strength that I needed. All I need is his love, and I'm not giving it up for anything else. You know, Sadiq is not actually his real, na real name, but it is a very real story. And it's one that is shared on the Open Doors website. And you might have been here or you might have missed the event that they hosted here a few weeks back. And I'd really encourage you to watch that event back on YouTube if you haven't, because there were some profound stories shared there of people in the persecuted church. Now, I know that there are people in our church family, maybe even here in this room, who would really resonate with that story and have experienced very similar persecution to Sadiq. But for most of us, his story is not going to be our story. For many of us in the West, we have so much more physical freedom than Sadiq had. We can go to church, we can share about our faith, we have a lot of freedom in our society, but we too can feel a bit bound by things. The opinions of others, expectations, insecurities, addictions, all kinds of things. But I believe that for all of us, whatever our experience is, we can know this same freedom in Jesus that Sadiq found. You know, he may not have had the freedom to exercise his faith like we might have, but he has found real freedom in his heart. And from that place of newfound freedom, he used it to love and serve those around him. And so the question that I have for us today is, how do we find freedom like Sadiq? How can we experience the freedom that Jesus came to give us and from that place, sharing that with others? Now, I wonder what you first thought of when I used the word freedom. Maybe it makes you think of the freedom to choose or to say or to be anything without restraint, as long as it's not hurting or offending anyone, right? But the freedom that we find in the Bible is in some ways worlds away from this understanding of freedom. You know, somebody who spoke a lot about freedom in the Bible and its importance in our life and walk with Jesus was the Apostle Paul, who wrote a number of the letters in the New Testament. 
And in fact, it was a significant message that he wanted to get across to the Galatians, as we read in Galatians 5, chapter 1, uh, chapter 5, sorry, verse 1. He says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, Paul, he was writing here to correct some false teachings that the Galatians had started to live by. They had accepted that Jesus had come to save them, but they had been convinced that in order to be saved, they needed to adhere to all of these old Jewish laws, which were a collection of commandments that had been put in place in order to help the Israelites to love God and love others, which, funnily enough, was actually one of the laws in itself. You know, the only issue with that is that there were quite a lot of them, which made it hard for people to stick to every single law, And so that's why Jesus talked about coming to fulfill the law on our behalf so that everyone could live in right relationship with God through him. So even though Jesus had lifted the people from this old law, these new Christians, they were still acting as though they were bound to it. Now, I remember for a number of years after I finished university, I still felt like I needed to ask my parents' permission for certain things. For example, when I was 23 years old, I decided I was going to get a tattoo. And I had picked the design, and I thought about it for a number of months, and I had enough money in the bank to be able to pay for it myself. But I just couldn't bring myself to book the appointment without asking my parents who, by the way, lived nearly 200 miles away, and I hadn't lived in their house for five years. But nevertheless, I plucked up the courage to call my mum. And I said, Mum, I've decided I want a tattoo, and I know what I want, and I'm going to get it in a place where I can cover it up, and I've got all the money I need for it, and I'm going to go to a reputable place. And I went on and on and on with all of my justifications until I finally had to come up for a breath. And after I gave her a chance to speak, she said, yeah, that's fine. Almost as if, why are you asking me this? You are an adult. You can make your own decisions. See, the rules that my parents gave me as a child, setting boundaries while I was under their roof, they weren't actually a bad thing. The problem was, I still felt like I needed to live under their rules, even though I was totally free to make that decision on my own. And that is kind of the thing that Paul is trying to get at here. You know, the law, it wasn't a bad thing either. It had helped God's people to live in right relationship with him for centuries. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. So instead of having to live by all the old rules, Paul is trying to tell the Galatians that Jesus has set them free to live by his new life. You know, elsewhere in Galatians, Paul writes that through Jesus, we are redeemed so that we get to live as sons and daughters of God. We have been adopted into his family. He has given us a new identity as children of the king of the universe. We are called co-heirs with Christ who get to access everything that God's kingdom has to offer us. In Ephesians, Paul says that we get 
all the blessings of heaven. There is nothing that is held back from us. We are fully forgiven, fully known, fully loved, fully embraced. And this is the freedom that Jesus died to give us. A full, unbroken relationship with our heavenly Father whose love is unconditional. Remember the question, how do we find freedom like Sadiq? Well, this is it. No wonder he wouldn't give it up for anything else. So, looking back to our passage, Paul, he says that we have been set free, but then he goes on to say that we need to stand firm in it. Now, like I said, the people, they'd been lifted from the old law, but they were still acting like they were under it. So they were kind of practicing things like religious festivals that required loads and loads of ritual sacrifice, or they were making the men go through uh, circumcision, which was a sign of the old law. And like the Galatians, I think we can sometimes uh, make the same kind of mistakes. Because even though this freedom that Jesus came to give us is a gift... We need to choose to take hold of it. And I think what Paul is implying is that it is possible for us to live in a kind of way that causes us to miss out on experiencing the fullness of freedom that Jesus came to give us. And that happens when we convince ourselves that we are still bound and we struggle to free ourselves instead of embracing Jesus' freedom. You know, for me, when I was a a student, um, I used to go out quite a lot, and and very often, I'd I'd end up getting drunk. And I was a Christian, and I knew that it wasn't God's best for me, but I, I found it really hard to resist the temptation. And I always felt such a weight of guilt over it, because I saw it as this huge rule that every time I broke it, just made me feel more and more ashamed. But I remember one day, after going out with my friends the night before, I had this overwhelming sense of God's love and his voice in my mind telling me that if I wanted to experience God's best for me, then the invitation was there. And so that's when I decided that I was going to make Jesus a priority I started attending church regularly. I got some friends around me who were going to challenge me in my faith. I started reading my Bible again, and I made every intention to seek Jesus. And as I did, I fell more in love with him. And as I began to understand more about his grace and mercy, I loved him more. And the shame and the guilt that I had piled onto myself each time I messed up started to ease You know, the funny thing was that understanding God's grace, it didn't just push me further into doing just all the things that I wanted to do. It actually had the opposite effect. Because instead of being motivated by looking like a good Christian, I was actually motivated by my love for Jesus and all that he had for me. I was finally able to leave the old life behind and to live in the new freedom that he came to give me. Now, Paul's encouragement to stand firm, it still applies. That's something that I know in my life I still need to remember because the temptations will always be there. But he encourages us later on in this passage that if we walk by the Spirit, we will find freedom. And so I know that if I stick with the Holy Spirit 
and his life-giving presence that he will help me not to return back to the old yoke. Now, I wonder what might be some of the things for you that you feel like you're yoking yourself to. Maybe it is something like it was for me in in your lifestyle, and you know it isn't God's best for you, like gossiping about your co-workers, or watching pornography, or a behavior or attitude like holding grudges or unforgiveness. You know, it could be that actually it's something that looks good on the outside, but it feels like it's turned into a kind of slavery. You know, for example, you might have put yourself under the law of not swearing, but you're still speaking harshly about others. Or you might be giving financially each month, but when you're not in church, you're never the first one to buy a round of drinks for your friends or spare some change for the homeless guy you walk past because actually generosity is not an attitude that you have in your heart. You know, sometimes maybe we feel like we're not reading our Bible enough or doing a daily quiet time, and every time you think about how you should be doing it more, it just comes with a burden of guilt. I think we've all been in that place. You know, the thing is, all of those things that I've just mentioned, they're really good things. But when we do them out of compulsion, it almost feels a bit meaningless. The freedom that Jesus really calls us to have is to have our hearts changed, which means actually becoming generous people or people who really want to spend time with God. See, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were masters at looking good. You know, he called them whitewashed tombs that looked good on the outside but were full of dead bones. You know, it's about our heart posture. Whatever we do, we should do it out of a spirit of being set free by Jesus. So, what does this look like? Well, remember earlier when I said that the freedom that Paul talks about, it seems a world apart from the kind of freedom that we see in our society. Well, that's because Paul goes on to suggest that even though we have been set free, there will be things that we still need to submit to, but we live in a culture that tells us we shouldn't have to submit to anything. You know, think about some of the phrases that we often hear nowadays. Follow your heart. Speak your truth. You do you. In the words of John Mark Homer, he says, happiness has become about feeling good, not being good. The good life has become about getting what we want, not becoming the kind of people who want truly good things. The self, not God or scripture, is the new locus of authority in Western culture. You know, Paul urges that the freedom we find in Christ isn't meant to lead us into this kind of libertinism, you know, the freedom to just do what we want to do, but instead for anyone who believes in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to live a new life that is characterized by love. Where the world is telling us that we need to be set free from restrictions, from people telling us what we should do, Paul tells us that we're set free too. We're set free to live this new life, to experience Jesus' freedom, to love one another. But what does that look like practically? 
Well, it's a huge topic, and you could probably do a number of different sermons on this, but I want to draw out a couple of applications that Paul points to later on in this chapter in Galatians 5, verses 13 to 16. And he says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Paul here, he first encourages us not to see our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, which is admittedly a bit of a weird phrase. Um, But the word flesh here is translated as literally meaning the body. And so Paul is using it as a way to describe our physicality. You know, what we do, how we use our bodies, how we live in the external world. He's saying that when we receive this freedom from Jesus, it's not just an internal feeling. How we live and what we do, it still matters to God. He wants us to live transformed lives that look different. You know, Paul, he makes this contrast between old humanity and new life. Old humanity, Paul describes as behaviors that dehumanize people. They destroy relationships. It's characterized by selfish, self-seeking practices. But in Jesus is the new life that produces the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul lists in Galatians 5.22 as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think I got all of those right. Yes. In contrast to the old humanity, this way of life is characterized by selflessness and servant-heartedness. You know, St. Augustine, who lived in North Africa in the 4th and 5th century AD, John Mark Homer writes in one of his books about um, the philo- one of the philosophies he had, and he says, the basic problem of the human condition is that of disordered desires or loves. In Augustine's view, human beings were created in love and for love. And this is kind of what Paul is getting at. You know, self-gratification is our body longing for love, but finding it in the wrong places. Once we experience freedom in Christ, we're actually finding it at the source, no longer fulfilling the need for that love in other places, but instead we get to live that love out for others. You know, I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus has more for us than to just come along on a Sunday and do the church thing, but for that to have no impact on the way that we live our lives for the rest of the week. Now, I, um, I always find baptism services particularly inspiring. We had one here last Sunday, and I loved it. If you were here, you probably heard me cheering for everybody sat at the back. Um, but I love hearing the stories about, uh, that people share about the transformation that they have found in Jesus. Like Ali, who got baptized back in May, and he described having had a one-way relationship with Jesus where he listened, but I never did. 
And after engaging with church post-lockdown, he said that he felt a personal calling out to change the way he lived. Knowing he gave his life for me, it was time for me to give my life for him, he said. Or Susan, who said that she had felt unworthy of God's love, but after having encountered the Holy Spirit at the student weekend away, she realized that those things that were stopping her from pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly, she described having Jesus in her life as a game changer. Or Valerie, who was so inspired by her daughter Heather's walk with Jesus that it caused her to want to devote the rest of her life to the Lord. And she got baptized last week at the age of 76. Wonderful. You know, I actually, um, I spoke with Valerie this week and she told me that getting baptized was the best thing that she ever did. How precious. You know, maybe you are new to faith and you're just starting to explore what some of this stuff looks like. But maybe you have been a Christian for years and things have gotten a little bit comfortable. You know, I believe that Jesus wants to remind you what a gift his freedom is and for you to step into it again because he is never finished bringing transformation to our lives if we'll let him. So finally, Paul encourages us to use this freedom to serve and love those around us. Theologian Tom Wright, he says, the first point Paul makes then is that freedom is for love. It was essential that in learning how to be truly free, the young Christians came to realize that squabbling among themselves was a sign that they were still enslaved, worse still, that it was the way to destruction. Now, the word that that Paul uses here for you when he says you were called to freedom is both a singular and a plural word, which kind of suggests that the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about is directed at us as individuals, but it is also a gift that we share in together. And if that's the case, then I think we need to not just view our freedom and salvation in Jesus as an individualistic thing, something that's just for me, but actually we need to consider what it means for the part that we play within the wider community of believers. After all, if Paul is calling us children of God adopted into God's family, then that makes us all family, and that means that we need to take how we love one another really seriously. You know, a few years ago, Heinz, my husband, he ended up in hospital with appendicitis. And when we came out, he was basically, yeah, he couldn't couldn't really do much. Um, And after a week of having to tie his shoelaces, I was feeling a little bit done. Um, I was trying my best to do everything around the house, but then also work in the week. But one day... One of my closest friends, Bernie, she, she said to me, Amy, I'm going to come around and I'm going to help you. She offered to help me. And so what she did was she tidied and cleaned my entire house and she even cooked us dinner. Just said, I did help her a little bit. Um, but she tidied and cleaned and cooked us dinner. And Bernie, she is a wonderful friend, but that would have been a lot for me to ask her to do that. You know, why would she offer to do that, to give up her Saturday to come and do that? Well, maybe I like to think it's partially because she loves us. 
But I reckon a bigger reason is because she loves Jesus. You know, when we're set free, we die to ourselves. And when we do that, we're free to selflessly serve and love other people. See, I think that love and service to others appears in this passage kind of like an antidote to the self-seeking ways of the flesh that Paul talks about. Let me explain a little bit of what I mean. I think that it works a little bit like a cycle, which will hopefully come up on the screen. There we go. So it's like we've got the cycle of the old life. And this is the freedom from life that we talked about earlier, where the world tells us that freedom means being free from restrictions and what other people might tell us what to do. And so when we live in that kind of freedom, it leads us to serving ourselves and our own needs. And as a result, we find ourselves living for the flesh and being driven by those desires. And in turn, that returns us back to a place of seeking the same kind of freedom. And we go round and round in this same circle over and over again. But when we let go of the old life and we experience freedom in Jesus, it allows us to live the new way of life, where we find freedom too, to serve one another through love. And as we serve one another we, and we reach out to them, it causes us to die to ourselves and the self-serving nature of the old life. And that brings us back again, I think, to even greater freedom in Jesus as we do that. And that cycle goes round and round and round. I don't know about you, but I would love to be somebody who experiences greater and greater freedom in Jesus. You know, what would it look like for us to be the kind of community that embraces Jesus' freedom in order to serve one another through love? That don't just see church as a place where we feed ourselves, but as a family that lays down its life for one another. You know, maybe you could follow Bernie's example and think about how you could reach out to somebody around you who is struggling or vulnerable. You know, not necessarily for all of us, all of us but maybe for some of us, we could look at our spare time and, and think, you know, is now a good moment for me to sacrifice a bit of me time in order to serve others? You know, as we think, think about responding to this, I think that has to include what it looks like for us to be part of what's happening um, as a church. And this could be a great time to offer your help to the kids or the youth team who are particularly in need of people to serve the younger generations right now. You know, I don't believe that Jesus set you free so that you could keep it to yourself. Remember, it's not just freedom from, it's freedom to to love and to live just like Jesus did. So, how do we find freedom like City? We understand, like he did, the love of God that brings healing, renewal, and most importantly, freedom. Something that we cannot help but keep uh, for others. We can't help but keep to ourselves. You know, once we've experienced it, we're not going to give it up for anything else.